Hello, and welcome to Our Voices, Our Community. Each week we focus on issues that are important to you and our community. We discuss an array of issues in Roanoke and the New River Valley, from social to political to economics, but also arts and culture and much more. Our goal is to merge local with state and national issues that affect our lives in Southwest Virginia. On today's episode, we're gonna talk about what symbols represent and the apology of Jerry Falwell Jr. So let's get started. I'm Robert Jeffrey and joining me today are Will Solari. Will, how are you, my friend? I'm hanging in there, man. How are you? Yeah, good. Happy, happy Tuesday to you. Yeah, happy belated birthday to you, buddy. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm getting old, man. My bones <laughs> are creaking. They keep creaking, creaking worse and worse and worse. So, uh, but thank you. I appreciate it. In the heartfelt sentiments that you guys share. <laughs> Catherine Stromberg, how are you? I am holding on, hanging in there. You holding on? Yep. Are you still in the house? Uh, I'm at my parents' house, so I'm trying to get some work done while the oh, okay. children slip and slide. Uh, are you getting a break from the kids? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's always great getting a break from the kids. <laughs> and and last but not least, we have our special guest, uh, the good Reverend Kevin McNeil. I got your last name right this time. How are you doing, <laughs> sir? <laughs> I'm doing well. Right. Doing well. Good. I know we're tape audio, but you guys, if we were doing some kind of Zoom conference, you can see the good Reverend McNeil in the, on the beach. He has a back back screen on the beach with palm trees and and water and waves and stuff. That, that's that's a good back screen, man. Oh, oh yeah, trying trying to go to my happy place and keep my blood pressure down with all this. Stuff that's, oh, yeah. that's important. <laughs> that is important. That is important. And I'm glad you have that back shot of you to keep you in your happy place because today's topics, we're going to be talking about <laughs> today's topics. We're going to be talking about uh, the removal of Confederate symbols. So last week, Governor Northam announced the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond. Earlier this year, the General Assembly passed legislation to allow localities to make their own decisions when it comes to these symbols. Schools across Virginia, including Roanoke, are renaming schools. What do symbols mean, and why should these symbols in particular be removed? Uh, so I'll open it up for discussions, especially I know there is a park a Robert E. Lee uh, Park here in Roanoke that their um, city council and Mary Lee have supported uh, the removal of that. So when we talk about these Confederate symbols that's been going on, not only in Virginia, but throughout the country, um, and, and now because of this, this wide, great movement that, I, that we are seeing, that we are witnessing to, what are you guys' thoughts on the fact of removing these symbols? Good riddance, baby. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you see the one they taught? Did you see about the one in the slaveholder statue in England? They tossed into the river. Yeah, yeah, they they just Coast dragged it. it. They just <laughs> yeah, just rolled it on in. It's pretty funny. Well, I they took matters in their own hands, didn't didn't they? They just took matters in their own hand and just ripped it down. Yep. Well, that's, uh, well, that's I think, really that, yeah, I, I think this is one of those things that's nuanced and a lot of people going, well, we can't erase history and that won't change history and this won't that and this and another, and another. but the, the fact of the matter is those statues and in particular the ones in Virginia that like are in Roanoke that popped around 1960 aren't there to be like, well, you know, General Lee was this torn man about, you know, whether to fight for the North or the South or any of that like revisionist crap that people think it's about. It's, they've always been a response to either uh, the civil rights movement um, coming into full swing or, you know, any kind of, of, of milestone 
for, for black Americans and creating progress for them, whether it's to vote, whether it's to just have equal rights. Um, those statues were put up there primarily by the Daughters of Confederacy and groups like that to remind people and, and try to keep them in place um, of a time when, you know, you, you know, you're still in the South. This is still, you know, uh, a land where we don't respect you as people. We don't think you're equal as, as humans. And there shouldn't be any debate about taking those statues down. And I, and I, and I understand that it's, it's, it's great that we're doing it now and whatever else, but I feel like it's a band aid and kind of uh, sometimes I feel like it's, it's, it's just performance to kind of be like, well, everybody, you know, stay calm. Look, we're, we're doing this thing we should have done all along. So, uh, you know, he finally got rid of those statues when really they should never have been there in the first place. So I think it's great they're coming down, but also, you know, we have to be realistic about the ways that we talk about them and the ways that, that, that people want to sub subvert that narrative to make it about history or heritage or all this other crap when the reality is they were, they were just racist symbols to begin with um, and especially in their, their implementation. Kevin, what are your thoughts on this? Well, Reverend McNeil, I should say, my apologies. That's fine. Uh, well, I, I agree with Will. I think that when you start to look at it for what it is, they're symbols of a lost cause, but it's almost as if I want to. I want you to be reminded that that everybody doesn't like you. You know that you. You've won, but not really. Um, and, and it's that, um, that constant reminder of um, an ugly past. And, and it's, you know, it's akin to you know, um, kids being mean to each other and, and one kid getting something nice and another kid being rem reminding them that, you know, well, before you had that, you had this. And, and wanting to almost in the sense of wanting to say we can always go back because that's what we really want to happen. Um, I said earlier on a video I put out this morning, you know, Terry Crews had that tweet about white supremacy uh, earlier this week or, or late last week, and it just blew up and it was very kind of nuclear because he said that the problem with white supremacists is that they're afraid that if, white supremacy is torn down, it'll be put, replaced with black supremacy. And that's not what this is all about. And a lot of people really kind of took that out of context. But I believe that there really is this fear. And the reason why many of them fight so hard when you talk about these symbols, because the symbols are a reminder of their values, a, a certain set of values and a, a power structure. And when you tear that down, um, they're, you know, for them, they're, they're, it creates a void that I think psychologically, when some of them don't know, have anything to replace it with, right. it make them feel good. Right. And so they, are, they become symbols of a fragile ego um, and white supremacy that uh, can't handle, it's, it's almost like the kid that can't handle being plain like everybody else. Right. Yeah, and I think Kevin's totally right. I mean, there's that, you know, there's a thing that's very hard to understand for, for most people, but if you're a, if, if you're a lower income, um, struggling white American, you know, people go, well, why are they so hard on, you know, um, you know, people trying to immigrate here from Mexico? Why are they so hard on black communities? Why are they so, you know, so hard on people who basically have the same, um, you know, socioeconomic plight as they do? And it's, it, it goes to exactly what Kevin's saying, that, that being a, a, a proud, white, southern, you know, American, doesn't matter if you're just as poor as the person that you hate or you're, you're, you're spewing all this kind of venom at, um, that's the one thing that you can hold over someone's head who wants to come here, you know, from, from Mexico to have a better life. Someone who wants to come here from, from South America to have a better life. Um, if you take that away, if you say that, like, listen, you're sort of the, 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 the common denominator in all your problems. It's not all these other people. It's not this or that, you know, you're poor and uneducated and, and have all these hardships, you know, because of, of your beliefs and because of your actions. Then what do these people have? You know, there's nothing left for them to, to kind of keep themselves in that superior light with. And I think Kevin's exactly right. That's what they're frightened by, by losing those things. 
Yeah, I do. I do believe it's a fear factor, a fear tactic. Excuse me, that these um, these monuments are up. Also, and and I, I I'm asking. I'm gonna lead on you guys on history because I want to make sure my history lessons and what I learned in history is correct. When the Confederacy left the Union, um, it was a, a treacherous and um, actually it was a, it was considered traitors. Am I correct? Because they left the U.S., right? Right. Am I correct? They yes. were trying to secede from the U.S. and it was traitors. Yes. So I guess my question is, why why, is I don't understand why people would put monuments up of traitors, Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee, and we're in more immortalizing these people. I don't understand. I didn't realize traitors where we were um, awarding traitors um, monuments these days. And to me, the fact that you're putting it up is you're you're showing me there was a traitor to our country. That was the reason why the wars were started because of men like them. And so, to me, taking them down, I mean, yeah, he's a traitor. You, I don't <laughs> you take you take these monuments down. So. I, that's that's my way of looking at it because I don't see them, I don't see them anything that was been a positive benefit to the history of the United States at all. That's just me. So, um, you know, that's where I that's where I feel about it. So, them well, yeah, down, I'm like I'm cool. <laughs> my favorite my favorite line about the history part is like. You know, just wait till these guys find out that we have these things called books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, what I was taught that they were traitors. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, me, like, I was want to make sure my history teacher was correct in teaching me these things, but that's how, that's what I learned. <laughs> so, um, so I don't think we should reward what? people who are betraying the, the uh, United States. I don't think that's something you want to award them in the class, put them on you. But you know, and I, and I think I think you're right, Robert. If you if you follow the actual the history of of the United States and the way that those events especially took place, you know, I don't think anyone's going take down those Civil War you know markers, uh, you know, throughout the Blue Ridge Parkway where this battle occurred, or or take down these things that are factually about the Civil War and the struggles of the Civil War and what a hard time and bad time it was for our country. I don't think anyone's saying that. I think. I think what the, the, by and large, when you look at the people's struggles for those things, is there are always people with a revisionist history of the Civil War. It's people that say, despite that the, the letters of succession from South Carolina, that the first thing in that paragraph states that it's about slavery, oh, they try to make it about states' rights. Or they try to make it about, you know, this, this, um, this poor plight of, of, of people who, you know, oh, just really we're going to be, be downtrodden by the North because people told them that their industry couldn't exist anymore, even though that industry is slavery. You know, so I think, the, I think when, when people are looking at history of that, they don't want to celebrate those people because they're, they're looking at a factual history, that they're looking at what, you know, General Lee's life was like or Sherman's life was like or whatever else. I think they're looking at it. And in a way that again fits their agenda and repaints history uh, for their purposes, and you know whether whether we need to remember those people or not, that's up to a museum and that's up to to history books. But we don't it gets, again we don't need to glorify them in a way, especially that that is that is specifically used as propaganda to send messages of people who were specifically uh, oppressed by those people. So what do you guys think they should do with the monuments um, that are, that are tearing down? This is a very interesting question. Not every one of them needs to go in a river, right? We could, we could have other alternatives. Um, so I've heard, um, I've heard some suggestions like from Cold War um, monuments, like, um, like, well, not from Cold War, from um, like, like when dictators um, have fallen in other countries that um, you kind of take all their statues and you put them in a field together. And, um, you know, you, you, you kind of, I think you let people just like, you let them decay like all together and that they're like, they're like amassing them together in one spot kind of shows how like it indicates how like a certain desperation on the part of the person that they needed to put the, up this many, or you know, not the person, but necessarily the, the, 
um, the, the movement that they needed to put up this many statues that all kind of are the same and boring to assert their supremacy, right? So um, that you can kind of have them all in this field and they all kind of like decay and you don't really keep anything in the field up and, you know, you don't remove graffiti. Like I would love to have the, the monuments preserved, especially the ones that have been like heavily, as they say, contextualized in Richmond, like I, they look cut, they look amazing right now. Like those are works of art. Those are like collective, um, you know, people powered works of art right now. And to, to, I, I think they should be like kept in a field somewhere and, and let that contextualization stay on them because they're just, they're freak. They look, they kind of are this amazing backdrop right now to, to that people are sort of celebrating the ones that have been graffitied. So. Uh, any other thoughts? Some one one person mentions put them in a field. Um, museum. You said a field or a museum or a field. I don't really feel they deserve a whole building. Like just let them out there in the elements. <laughs> just like, out in the, in the grass. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you can roll some <laughs> up the river. I have no. I have no. You don't need to. You don't need to. Like put all together, so you really see that. Like this is desperate, right? When you have to have that many statues to yourself, there's a certain desperation there. Yeah, and, and uh, I think approaching it like you would art in terms of what what message it has when you do that, you know, there is something to putting them all together, I do think, also, where, you know, it seems like, well, there's just one Robert E. Lee statue in Roanoke. What's the big deal? And it's like, well, let's put them all together. Let's see how many actually exist in the U.S. And would you believe that this one over here was from California or this one was from Washington State? So, you know, states that didn't even exist or, or had, a, had a stake in the Civil War. Um, so when we start to contextualize them like that, and you see how many there were for, again, no good reason, uh, except, except the, the one to, to, as propaganda or to kind of push this agenda, um, I, think, I think that is a really, I think it's a really powerful thing. And I, I also think that, I mean, as much as I, I think everybody should, should have a say in this, I mean, Robert and Kevin, I'm really interested in what you guys think because out of out of everyone who's who's been around those statues, um, you know, the black community has the least amount of input or the least amount of say in it. And so I think you know, starting with you know, with with the people that this was meant to be a, a warning to is probably the best place to start. Yeah, well, I, I think I ahead, think most of us, it's the I'm actually for me personally, it's you know, let's melt them down and repurpose the metal for something else. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, if you're going to save, you know, one of each or whatever, then you have to have some narrative that tells the truth story about who this person was and what this person did and what it actually meant in the life of our nation. Um, not have these revisionist histories. I know Texas and I think it's California um, have in the past year rewritten their history books to uh, paint slavery in a, in, a, in, a, in a better light. You know, they weren't slaves, they were indentured servants, um, yeah. really. Without the chains. <laughs> right. And the lashes. But, uh, you know, so I think you have to really, if you're gonna have those statues, let's tell the true story about what this represents and why. And con concurrently also, be ready to tell the story about what impact this has had on because because it's in so in the military there's a in the fifth special groups where there's a group in the special forces called psyops psyops guys are usually really crazy because they're because their job is literally to find ways to have to psychologically affect the enemy and so they they deal in psychological warfare and so for me, when I see those statues or I see the flags and I have, for me, it's psychological warfare. You know, uh, I'm going to keep poking and poking and poking and poking and agitating just enough so that it makes you uncomfortable. And so I think, you know, it, that you have to kind of flip that narrative and do something that's going to make them uncomfortable and say, okay, but let's tell the truth about what this really means. Because if it is heritage, Okay, so let's talk about what that heritage really is. 
I agree. I agree, Reverend McNew. I, I think we're at a point where we need to stop lying about our history in our country. We need to stop lying about it. And these monuments really demonstrate the oppression that was happening in our in our country. Um, and seeing that, seeing those statues every day is just a continued reminder of of what of what people have done to other people that have been oppressed. And um, to me, I say good riddance that they are taken down. I do hope that someone with some forward thinking to replace these monuments with something that is kind of unifying all of us and display about what we are as a, as a country, the true meaning of what the true meaning of what our country is supposed to be. And so, hopefully, they as they tear down these monuments of racism. I hope they will build up monuments of hope and unity as we move forward in this. That's my hope, that when they tear them down, that they will replace them with those elements. Uh, to the, right. To what do we put in, what, what do we replace them with is almost more important than what we do with the old ones, right, that we're junking. Right. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Can I just, I just, I'm just, I want to stop for just one second and like, because history feels like it's happening so fast right now. I just want to go back to 2017 when like we had the governor's race and all those government and, and the, and in Virginia, the democratic candidate was afraid to say that he was for taking the monuments down. And now right. he's like, like rip them yeah. down, <laughs> all of them, get them, get them, collect them up, everything. Send a crate out there. I mean, and he's going to fight like they, they got an injunction against him to stop it, some sort of like, whatever. But I mean, he's basically willing to be like, uh, I have a coronavirus exception to everything and anything I wanna get rid of right now, I can just, you know, take it and cart it off. I mean, that is a crazy amount of change from, um, you know, 2017, just on, from him, right? So it just, it just, I mean, and, and the, the Republican candidate was like, I love Confederate statues and I want to hug all of them and give them all a kiss, right? That was, that was the Republican stance, which it still is the Republican stance. But I mean, it just, it just, it's amazing. And I just want to take a minute to like acknowledge that like, yes, it was the, like the election made a difference in that like, you can't elect someone who wants to kiss Confederate statues and expect to get them torn down. But so it's good that we didn't like the Kiss Confederate Statues guy, but like the activists out there in the streets, you know, people marching, changed this issue and the, and the amount of courage elected officials were willing to show on it in days, right? So, so we see this change in days, but you know, I also wanna see change on other issues that maybe don't, aren't purely symbolic. So I don't know, I just wanna acknowledge like the amount of quick like push towards change that can be accomplished by people and i just admire it so much the people who you know i love direct action so that's all and, yeah and to Catherine's point we need to be really hyper aware of, of of the politicians who defend those kind of things whether they believe in it or not to pander to a certain group of people um who you know again whether they're outright you know white supremacist or people with deeply racist undertones i think that's a that's always a dog whistle. If you're not willing to, 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 to be on the right side of history as it were. Um, but I think we also have to be careful about, you know, allowing issues like that. Sometimes, I mean, it's a big issue for sure, but I think we also have to be careful of the people who would again, use doing the right thing as a bandaid and people who would use those statues, you know, like it, like it was a little while ago to not have to deal with, with bigger issues or to put off actually doing a lot of um, systemic change and kind of, again, doing these sort of these band-aid politics. I mean, those, you know, those statues should have come down forever ago. And that's on the, the, the shoulders of everybody who was in office forever by and every time I came up being like, well, I don't know, it's election year. I don't know if it's the right time to really take a stance on this or not or whatever else. I think, I think you got to hold people accountable for those things forever. I don't, I don't, I don't know if everybody gets a pass for doing the right thing eventually. Um, I think, you know, the, the true merit and a leader, as it were, true merit of, of someone who's trying to do the right thing is they were doing the right thing all along. 
and not just when, you know, you had an opportunity or not just when it was going to help with some, some, some pressure that you may be feeling as a politician who's looking to get elected or, or who's looking to fix a bad situation. Yeah, I, I agree, Will. I agree. One thing I do, um, history has told me, or maybe life experiences have told me, um, I'm very excited about this, this energy of change and reform that's happening. Um, I also remember when these things happen, every time we have these reform and changes, there's always, we must, we must remember there is going to be some type of backlash from the people who did not, who do not want what we're doing right now. We must realize, we must understand that. Don't, don't think that because the, the statues are going down and we're talking about doing police reform, um, I know the legislation bill is, is trying to be, um, is being presented, uh, and other, other great measures that we're doing. But we need to be understand, we need to understand, we cannot all of a sudden just breathe a sigh of relief. You must remember that there's going to be a backlash coming. Just, just, be, just be aware of that. And that's why I hope as we start going through these reforms and these changes, and they're all positive, all good, I always, uh, life have taught me it's always a backlash. <laughs> it's always a backlash. And we just need to be prepared for that. Because people are people there there's certain groups out there who don't agree with everything that's going on. And and a lot of them are in positions of influence and power in our community. So we just need to be cognizant of it and be prepared for that when that backlash becomes because they're not just sitting down and just like, oh well. No. So we need to understand that. Yeah. I think part of the challenge that the country has with the fact that it's where what day 15 of protests right uh, 15 or 16 is that there are a lot of people who are out now um, and I was looking at the unity um, event on Saturday and just looking at all the things that have been happening but there are a lot of people out now whose stance is what about what do I have to lose um, and, and what I mean by that is you see a lot of millennials and younger who are starting protests on their own. And, you know, I either, you know, I was talking to one guy and he's like, well, you know, he's the, makes his money on off his social media and some contracting stuff that he does. And so he's not to a corporate world. And he, he's like, you know, what do I have to lose? You know, they can come from if they want to, or you know, I'm I'm still a student and or I'm retired now, and it's this really weird mix uh, that's cross generational of uh, people that are beginning to stand up and speak up, and I think it's just the sheer force of the numbers uh, that's starting to drive change and give people um, like our own governor who is able now because he sees that there are so many people who are for this that are, you know, or that are pretty bad for longer, they're saying, okay, well, this, I'm now empowered to make these statements that maybe I would have made three years ago, but I have the power to do it now because it's not just you attacking me. You're going to have to, there's a, a faceless mob, uh, for lack of a better term, that also um, has this opinion. Um, and because I've had that same conversation with people, you know, there, there are people on the other side that are going to lash out and strike back. Um, and I've seen it myself, even within, you know, clergy with you know, the, the, the church, where I've had some tough conversations with some people who have questioned, you know, why did you need to say that? Or, you know, don't you think that was a little over the line? And I always say, well... I, I only spoke my truth. I only, you know, I did not say anything that was wrong or superficial. This was my truth. This is why I spoke it. This is the platform that I spoke it from. And it is what it is. And I think that's the, 
the thing that um, makes it so special is, is not, it's cross-generational, it's cross-ethnicities, it's cross-socioeconomic stand, standards and statuses. Uh, and so, um, but, but people are talking about that, you know, what about the backlash, what about this? And, and so, I, I, but I don't think people really have that concern. Um, it's, this needs to change and change now. Yeah, well, I just want to remind you guys um, when we had President Obama, everyone was very excited that we had a black president. And again, and there was a lot of people in our country who did not like the fact that it was a black president. And we thought that was going to be, but we were moving forward with changes. And now, again, the backlash was what? Trump. <laughs> just so that I just want to remind people, you know, the reforms, and we need to do them, but also be prepared for the backlash. There's always a backlash to things like this. And to me, um, I'm just hoping that whatever it is, is not as great as we anticipate. But, um, but I am definitely appreciative of all the great things that these young millennials are out in the streets. Um, and I've been bashing millennials uh, <laughs> for for some degree, I mean, you know, my children, I'm looking at my kids and, <laughs> and I have second thoughts about how our country is going to be. But I am proud of them, though. I am proud of what they're doing out in the, in the streets and the marches and in the peaceful protests. I'm, I'm just very proud of them. You so, know, I, well, I, that actually brings, I have a question, though, about especially people coming out and and, and, and the kind of bandwagons of things that happen sometimes. Um, you know, Ben Klein was out on Saturday. Oh my God. And good for him for, for, you know, being engaged in his community. Where do we go from, you know, where do we say, listen, yes, it's important that you're out here. I think it's good. How do we encourage people to continue to do the right thing like that? Even if they're not part of a party that we agree with, well, even if they're not, uh, they've had a very problematic, let's say, track record and who they support or using opportunistic things like Second Amendment, whatever, to get votes or, or, or pandering to troubling audiences uh, of voters. How do, we, how do we continue to, I don't know, keep people moving towards doing what's right regardless of what party you're in or regardless of what demographic you're in, whether it's you're the millennial or, or whatever else? Um, What's the, what's, the, what's the kind of right path for that? Because I think, I think those are opportunities to create even more progress than what, um, than the, the large amount of progress that's getting done through, you know, people showing their support and, 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 and the kind of feedback you get from, from, you know, like the governor or democratic leadership. How do you continue then for people who have had that problematic past that maybe didn't see Charlottesville as big of a problem as it was or the president as big of a problem as he was now sort of trying, dipping their toes with doing in the waters of doing the right thing? I see. I don't see. Anyways, maybe you, you, Reverend McNeil and, and Robert, you guys will have the last word on this. But can I just say that like seeing Ben Klein out there, and given the podium, given the podium at um, an event about black lives made my blood boil because every single one of his votes is a vote to kill black people. So I, I just, I, I have a hard time seeing him given his time to talk and be acknowledged as something that he's not I don't know I just I, I get very upset and you know I'm an emotional person so I'm just I'm in my feelings <laughs> so, I'm sorry I'm not making a lot of sense but I, just, I get very upset I will say that no that's fine that's fine Catherine. Uh, uh, Reverend McNew so one of the things that I've been having conversations with people and I've been saying this um, one that this has to be, this is going to take a long-term commitment from the people that are the stakeholders. And it is um, also going to take a long-term commitment from the unaffected. 
my, my message on Sunday from Acts 6, I talked about the widows that, of the church that were being left out, even though the first, the four, four verses before that, it said, you know, everybody brought their stuff to the church and nobody had need. Everybody brought their stuff to the church, nobody had need. Then all of a sudden, there's this up, uprising about these women who are widows who are not getting food. And I said, you know, the interesting thing is when you go back and you study that text, it wasn't just that they were murmuring that they didn't have food, but it was the unaffected. Because in the culture, the men had the voice, still because you were still dealing with this Jewish hierarchy system uh, that was very patriarchal. And so I was saying to people, it is not just the affected that have to be in it for the long haul, but it's also the unaffected, those persons who, become, who have become advocates. Um, and they have, you know, it is the pressure of the social frown um, that's going to affect long-term change. And so what we have to do is make sure that the people who are excited now stay committed, stay excited. Because what happened with President Obama, there was this ground surge to elect a black president. And then it was like, whoo, we're done. We got it. We're, we're good. And nobody came out for the next election. Right. Yeah, I, I agree, Kevin. And I think the answer, you know, also to answer the question regarding Congressman um, Ben Klein, um, we need to keep his feet in the on the fire. If that's yeah. the right thing. I mean, he is our congressman. Believe, I mean, regardless of what you know what he is, he's still our congressman, and we need to hold him responsible. Now, I'm not a. I did not attend uh, this past weekend events. Of course, I was celebrating my birthday and I wanted to be in seclusion with my wife and enjoy my birthday. So I did not attend when I was out of town, but I wouldn't have let Ben Klein speak. I mean, I, I would acknowledge him that he was in attendance and moved on, but uh, I would not allow him to speak. But I also would let him hear and let him be present to hear the concerns coming from his constituents. At the end of the day, he's still the he's still our congressman until we figure out a great way of getting him out of there. And I would love to hear all the ideas of how we can get him out of the office. But right now, we he still has we still need to make sure he is upholding responsibility and continue those communication uh, communications with him to make sure that that he's heard and he's hearing it and and hopefully something out of his mind he will feel some sense of, of uh, dignity and make and, and look at some of the issues that we have in front of us so well so, a coordinated effort though huh that's to take a, a coordinated direction yeah, it's going to take it's going to take a coordinated effort and it's going to take a lot of prayer <laughs> Well, and, you know, and, and speaking of prayer and, and trying to figure out whether something is crocodile tears or, um, you know, a, a genuine learning moment for someone, you guys want to talk about uh, Jerry Falwell Jr.? Yeah, well, let's, 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 let's transition on to that. Um, there's been a lot of tweets, tweet apologies going on. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't know people when they do bad things, they go out and just apologize with tweets. But we received, um, there's a, a lot of tweets of apologies toward um, Drew Brees, who is a quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, uh, made a statement uh, regarding the uh, respect the flag, and he wouldn't respect the flag if people need, dis disrespecting the flag if people need, need through the anthem. And um, he recorded backlash on that. Um, Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, received backlash because he was tweeting, um, actually going after Governor Northam with uh, a mask um, depicting uh, his uh, college pictures, I should say, uh, medical pictures, I should say. So, um, so, but he did issue. Um, Jerry Falwell Jr. did issue an apology, uh, apology on Monday, and, um, and I'm going to read the quote. And after listening to African-American LU leaders and alumni over the past week and hearing their concerns, I understand that by tweeting an image to remind all of the governor's racist past, 
I actually refreshed the trauma that image had caused and offended some by using the image to make a political point. Uh, you also stated, uh, for any hurt my effort caused, especially within the African-American community. Um, uh, after nearly three dozen black alumni denounced him last week, um, and I believe some um, of his staff actually resigned as well from that tweet. So what do you guys think about when you see these, um, everyone has the right to make mistakes, uh, but then to send an apology out of it, do you think these uh, apologies that are really mean, mean has serious meaning to it? Or is it just a PR move? Well, it's just, it's, it's just another example of how myopic that guy is, right? You know, he apologized for this, this one thing that he did to a certain group of people who were of his, uh, of his university or his base, as it were, and, and has no foresight or no, uh, sees no responsibility any of the rest of his actions or support that he gives people who are, who are frankly just as racist if not more right and I think I think the only way you're ever going to get rid of people like Jerry Falwell or see true change to them is if people stop sending their kids to liberty stop sending their money to liberty and people stop going you know well you know going there would be really awful but they have this great online program I could just do that without having to actually be in all that mess you're still sending money to someone like Jerry Falwell Jr. And in turn, he's sending that money to people like Donald Trump, or he's sending, he's using his, his, his power and position to tweet awful things that just fit his political agenda. So unless this was like, unless this was an apology where he goes, Hey, listen guys, I've, I've screwed up basically my whole life and career and everything else. Um, and today's the day. And this is, these are the people that are going to help keep me accountable because I really did you know, I really did offend and, and hurt some of our alumni and people that I care about, then it's all, it's all PR BS. And that's, that's what, what it is for a lot of those people. It's like, ah, well, I know I meant those things, but I just thought, you know, it would be fine. And now that I realize it's not fine, I'm sorry. Right. I, I think this is all about money. I, I, I think that his apology has to do with someone pointed out to him that his bottom line was being threatened. And I think Jerry Falwell Jr. cares about nothing but money. Um, I think this all connects back to our previous conversation in some ways. Um, you know, the symbols, taking those down is cheap. Re budget reallocations, changing how we spend our money and who it goes to, um, that's when people start to get real serious um and that's you know when we talk about backlash i think that that's where you're you know i everyone should watch the wallets and watch where our public monies go and i think that that's where we should that's where that's where the real fight is um and i think that in the same way you know with jerry falwell jr you know a bad tweet was gonna cost him some money and so oh oh better better change better make a better tweet or something apologize apologize mea culpa mea culpa but yeah i think it's just a show just so he can keep the the dollars rolling in and um i think that's all he's ever cared about with his vast online university i don't think he cares about christianity at all i think his entire support for trump was based on making sure that his online university stayed deregulated um you know obama was cracking down on regulating the um some of the online online education um and now we're even he more heavily going into online education and i think that you know with the coronavirus and i i, I think that he's just yeah he it, it's all show it's all about money with him he doesn't care about it jesus is not a concern for him in reality in my opinion <laughs> the reverend gets the last say on this <laughs> well, it's all right well you know according to fox news and i, I hate to use that as a source but um there were uh, the Black Liberty uh, University alums threatened to pull funds from the university. So I think what you were saying, Catherine, kind of makes sense. Um, you know, the money piece uh, was because I was because he's at one point he was pretty defiant in his comments. 
in his stance. Then all of a sudden there was a, oh, a, a, some kind of miracle happened when he fell asleep and woke up. Some, some bright light or something woke him up and said he needed to issue his apology. And he was pretty defiant for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden it happened. I, you know, I'm not a big, well, I'm not a fan of him um, at all. And I also question why um, seeing the leader demonstrate the way he's demonstrating why people of color actually attend the school. But, you know, that's a, that's a subject for another day. I, 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 I'm not really thinking he's sincere about it. I, I agree with, with you. I think it's a, it's a PR move just to calm everyone down. Someone might have threatened to, to print some masks with the pictures that he'd been texting out of his wife. Uh, and he understood how, how shallow his, his little war with the, the governor was. Um, well, it was. It was very shallow. And I, I mean, you know, we, we always say we try to hope that our, our kids will. <laughs> kids look at this. Kids read. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I hate to, hate to burst yeah. everybody's bubble, but kids do read and see these things. And to see them going, grown people, grown men going after each other because of that, I mean, it's a little embarrassing to me. But you know. well, Kevin, also coming from the cloth, you know, how do you – how do you reach people who, who don't question people like Jerry Falwell? Because they do have such a deeply embedded faith that they, they don't question, you know, religious leaders when they do these kind of problematic things. Like what's the, what's the way to kind of get us out of this, these kind of situations where, 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 you know, supposed religious groups are doing these, these very problematic things. I mean, I know, uh, you know, and, and again, it's all, ironically directed at Northam lately, but there was that, you know, um, that church on orange uh, in Roanoke that posted or that had their sign out front talking about how Northam was the antichrist, even though they misspelled Christ and the sign posting, like, how do you, they're just, you know, those aren't Christian values that I knew growing up. Like, how do you, how do you get reach those people who see that kind of stuff and be like, well, that's fine. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, our religious leader did it, so it should be fine, right? That's and he's right. How do you how do you how do you reach those people? How do you hold how do you get those people to help hold their leaders accountable? Well, so there's a couple of things. Um, first, Drew Brees' apology was all about the fact that in a couple of weeks he's got to go back into a locker room that's predominantly black male, and for the first time in his in his athletic career after growing up around black males in football, he was gonna to have to face them in something that was very uncomfortable. So let's just be honest, his apology was all about not having to deal with it, that backlash the first day back in the locker room. And yeah. the fact that New Orleans is a black city in all, by many accounts, and for the first time in his career in New Orleans, there were black people who were ready to burn his jersey, and there were corporations that were ready to pull their sponsorship because of what he said. So that was money and the ability to do his job in a way that, that was going to be safe for him on the football field. So you don't think, so you don't think, you don't think uh, Drew Brees was sincere at all? No, I don't. I don't think he gets it. I think he conflates the whole idea of kneeling and the flag and gets it all and has bought into um, the rhetoric that kneeling is somehow um, offensive to the flag because my grandfathers fought in World War II. Um, you know, I was spent 10 years in the military and I saw many of guys in uniform kneel in front of the flag. So, you know, let's just be honest about that. This was for him about a, narr a narrative that has developed in his mind that somehow it was an affront and he holds that belief, and he stated what he believed in the in the beginning. And his apology was not that I've changed how I feel about it. His apology is, I'm sorry I offended you. Yeah, that's... And, and so all he's trying to do is to quell the emotions before he's got to go back into that locker room 
with 52 other guys who are bigger and stronger than he is. And, I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. Well, what do we do? The, the, you know, and again, I think, you know, it's easy to pull sponsorship and, and support and, you know, um, have a, have a team like the saints look hard at renewing his contract or whatever. But, you know, what about people whose contracts we can't pull or whose jerseys we can't burn? I mean, what do you, you know, again, what, 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 how do we keep people like Jerry Falwell from having the power and influence that they do when they're using that power and influence both as a, as a religious thing, but also as a, as a negative thing. But, 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 but you can pull Jerry's power because Jerry's power is money. Sure. And so if people of color all of a sudden said, we're not going to play basketball there, we're not going to play football there, we're not going to run track there, his three largest sports all tank. Right. All the building that they're doing, they're doing all of that building because of what happened with the football team. The football team moved up to D1. The money is much bigger in D1. He now has the money to fund buildings. When I went to the University of Miami, when we won in '91, buildings got built that summer. Every, every time, every time I went back to campus the year after a championship, there was an influx of cash that came in, so new stuff got built. Now it was educational stuff in most ways, so I'm not knocking that piece. But let's be honest: in in our country, football is a great equalizer. Yeah. Well, is it though? Because how much, who I mean, gets paid the most? Who gets I mean, paid the most? Those coaches are all white. Well, no, what I'm saying is football is the great equalizer in that the establishment makes a, a much larger piece of the pie in football than in any other sport. And when you think about it, University of Texas, $110 million for the football team alone in, a, in one season, that's how much they clear. Welcome. You know, as as well, you know, as someone who went to who to UT and whose building was right beside the stadium, you could have fit eight of our of our fine arts buildings into <laughs> the football stadium. You said hundred thousand people in a you said the small city in a stadium. Yeah. yeah. The um, yeah, I think I, I I do agree that you know you got to hit them in the wallet. Um, I just I. I I'm, I'm just perpetually frustrated. And again, the, the kind of theme of our episode is, is the hypocrisy of a lot of these kind of people. But I mean, Liberty's football program is another really um, outstanding example of just, and I'm just going to put it out there like this, what a scumbag Jerry Falwell Jr. is. Um, and the kind of people he hired to run that program. My God, yeah. You know, who, who have been, you know, guilty of hiring escorts for, for students who have covered up rapes and, and, and sexual assaults for years. And that's fine because it's all in the, in the, in the guise of football and, and for the good of the university. And again, I don't know what it's going to take to, you know, and I agree that with you saying like, yes, the athletes have to not go there. The people have to not support that. But then there's always going to be those, those dying old ladies who are leaving Liberty a ton of money because, you know, Falwell or whoever has convinced them that it's the, it's the, it's the Christian thing to do and whatever else. I, I just have a hard time with, with, with trying to figure out how to get conservative and, and religious communities to, to react and to do something about the hypocrisy of places like Liberty or the hypocrisy of, again, like that church on orange that that's calling Northam the antichrist in, in a time when really building community and, and togetherness is more important than ever. Yeah, I, I agree with him. Uh, I, I just think that we we need to understand that in in America, money is uh, it's a capitalistic society, and and that is ruling. Unfortunately, that is one of the rules that you must have to make for some of these people to to act on is hit them in the wallet, and also peaceful protest. I mean, if you are standing in front of a building and and uh, to some of the issues. If there were a po peaceful protest in front of Liberty University to change their actions and, and, and marching and doing those things, that is another way that we can affect change. Obviously, it's been working the past 14 days. Um, that's their currency. That's the millennials' currency is to use 
is the is peaceful protest. So um, I think those are ways that we can do uh, that we can hopefully get our points across effectively. Right, but peaceful does not necessarily mean that it's comfortable, right? Right. If, no. if people are not uncomfortable, like some people think that peaceful means that everybody's comfortable. Nope. Nope, no, nope. no, I'm, I'm not saying, no, I'm definitely not saying you take lawn chairs and you have lemonade, <laughs> just sitting there and everyone's just sitting around drinking lemonade and, and no, I'm not saying that, but it has to be, the message has to be defiant, yeah. but, it can, yeah. but it can be peaceful, but it has oh, to yeah. be defiant, it has to be defiant in your messaging. And I yep. think that is, I think today and what the, the people are doing and and everyone else is out there protesting, that's their currency right now. And they're using it. And they understand they're going to continue to use it till they make these changes. So uh, I I hope, go ahead, I'm sorry, Ramina. There's also another piece to that is not just the fact that they're protesting. And I don't say that they're peacefully protesting. I hold the adage that it is a violent protest. It's just not the destructive protest. Violence is what I, is, is, me disrupting the life of someone else. Um, destructive is me disrupting property. And so I think we have to, I, 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 I think we have to start moving away from, oh, we're gonna have a peaceful protest. No, we're not gonna have a peaceful protest. We're just not gonna have a destructive protest. We're not gonna destroy property, but we're gonna upset people's lives and make them uncomfortable. I mean, uh, feel free to destroy some property though. <laughs> like, I mean, like, like, come on. Like, I mean, certain things. Colston well, statues, maybe a little Robert E. Lee contextualization, you know, burn down that Confederate building if you need to. I'm fine with it. <laughs> this, is why, this is why I have to throw in uh, a point of understanding. Now, Catherine, you can go out there and throw that statue. I know, I know. I'm sorry. But if I go out there and wrote that statue, I mean, I might have a couple knots upside my head. I know, I know. It's not, it's not equal. That's, that's, I understand. And that's what we need to. That's the conversation that we need to have as we move forward. Right. You know, it's, it's understanding each other what what we can and what we can't do, and we should be able to do everything. But we need to have that better understanding of that. Um, but you know, hey, kicking kicking Robert E. Lee down a little bit, hey, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna cry over it. I'll tell you that. Um, I interrupt you, Reverend McNeil, and then we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah. So there also has to be this call to morality, and that's what King was about. Martin Luther King was about. there. Is this this call to morality, and even now we see with. Um, you know, the Poor People's Campaign, they, they do their Moral Mondays. Um, there's a level of morality that I think you have to put into the face of people. And it starts with ministers being, being courageous on Sunday morning or on a Wednesday Bible study or a Thursday night service. You know, one, you know let, let me look at your morality. Let me show you the, mor- the, the, the moral negative effect that this has on the lives of real people. Um, I said this morning to some in, in, the, in the video I put out, that we need to stop talking about the black white race and the white race. There's one race. We just all have some different ethnicity, some ethnic differences. Some of us are a little lighter, some of us are a little darker, some of us have long hair, short hair, no hair, whatever the case might be. But we're all one race. And so what's immoral for you is also immoral for me because we're part of the same race. And the currency that that the currency that we have also is the fact that we are making a moral argument. So when I'm talking to other ministers who, who, who someone literally asked me the question, why do we need an anti-racism pro reconciliation workshop? Why, why do we need to do that again? And my pushback was because Jesus was anti-racism for reconciling, reconciling in the scripture. The scriptures say that. When you look at the scriptures for what they are, and any minister who's willing to say that it is okay for me to um, look at a black person or a woman or a gay or anybody as anything less than who I am is, a, is going against what Christ stood for. And, and so there's a moral piece that is tied to scripture 
that I think we have to also, when you talk to um, the liberties of the world, the Jerry Falwells and those individuals, these churches, and I, and I, and I, and I always push back and say, you know, are you preaching your gospel or are you preaching God's gospel? Because we all have a personal theology that has to be reined in. And so if there is a challenge there to sometimes push back on what people have to say and say, is this your theology or God's theology? Because God's theology is love and what you're saying and doing doesn't look like that. Well, great. Um, True. Well, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for this um, for this discussion. And, uh, and I hope that we, uh, well, I don't know if we can solve the issue about these apologetic tweets and, and how people are moving as we go through this. I don't call it a difficult time, personally. Uh, I call it a transitional time. Um, so um, I don't know how what they'll do regarding that. But I do thank all of you guys for having this discussion on this particular topic. And the also uh, the topic that we previously talked about uh, regarding the symbols of Confederate symbols. So I appreciate you guys sitting in on this. So real quickly, as we try to um, wrap up, um, always go quickly go around and ask what you guys are looking for this week. Um, if you have a brief um, thought about what you guys are looking forward to this week, um, I will start with Catherine. You're the, the only young lady we have on the podcast today. Ladies first today. Okay. Um, so I am looking forward to just before we started this podcast, I got an email in reply to my email um, to the police chief of our beloved city. And, um, and, and the new police chief responded to my email very graciously and um, invited me to um, set up a time to talk with him. And um, I believe also his assistant police chief um, cool. regarding the pepper spraying incident. Good. So I am um, looking forward to hearing what he has to say. And I, I do have to say that, um, you know, my previous correspondence with our previous police chief was not as, um, um, it had a different tone to it, which was very much a brush it off tone. So um, I noticed the difference in this tone, which is like, let's have a conversation. Um, I'm sure he's not going to love when I say like, Hey, can we cut, you know, a bunch of money out of your budget? <laughs> I'm sure he's not going to love that. But, um, but I think that, that at least there's respect, you know, um, that is in the tone of the email. So um, despite the fact that it was a critical email um, and I think we need to, I, I look forward to moving, moving forward on those issues and finding out whether or not pepper spraying people is acceptable during a pandemic or not. Okay. All right. Good. Will? Oh, I'm looking forward to, I, you know, as things, any kind of big major events sort of unfold and whether it's our history or whatever else, you know, again, whether it was like 9-11 or, or everything that's going on now, you know, there's a huge fervor around things when it first happens. And there's a lot of, a lot of, like you were talking about Robert, there's sometimes like a lot of backlash as I see like a lot of that cooling, I'm, I'm looking forward and I'm very encouraged by the people who have gone from being like, well, what about my businesses and Antifa and, you know, all these like, you know, fake concerns to actually going, oh man, I think we do actually have a problem with the police. I think, what did New York pay out last year? $224 million in settlements because of, you know, use of force by the police. And how much good could that have done elsewhere? You know, that could have fed all of New York for a year. Like those kind of things, those kind of talks that people are, are again, letting maybe have been problematic at first, but letting more rational thinking prevail. I'm, I'm very encouraged by that because I, I really thought it was going to get much worse before it got better. And I think that, you know, if it's social media, the news or whatever else is any kind of pulse on some of the general public, I'm, I'm really glad that people are, are looking at those conversations now and talking about, uh, police reform as it as it relates to to race and the problems with race in our country versus their well you know a business owner was beat up one time and you know looking for reasons to dismiss all this I think I think it's I think it's good that people are, are starting to make that turn so yeah. this this week I'm looking forward to that you know that that wave keep going like it is so good 
Reverend McNeil. Uh, yeah, well, today is actually my youngest son's 12th birthday, so. Hey, happy birthday. Later on the day. Yeah, uh, and uh, hoping to uh, spend some time with the wife just listening to music this weekend. So just some downtime on, on this Saturday uh, with the family, just enjoying some good music. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, good. Well, good. Well, um, I'm looking forward to getting back to the swing of things. I took a took some time away to kind of, I always say time for reflection is <laughs> always good for me. And um, I'm back full of energy and, and vigor and move forward, but also looking forward to what they are talking about regarding this police reform legislature, uh, legislation. And I hope, um, I hope it, it gets through the Senate. Um, I have no doubt about the House, but I'm, little concerned about the Senate. Um, and also, I'm looking forward to the fact that um, um, Colors VA Magazine just announced our Scholar of the Year, London Page, who just, nice. um, who's a student at William Fleming High School. Um, so I'm excited for her uh, being uh, the scholar above, uh, among all the great other scholars we had throughout the publication. So she will re will receive a thousand dollar scholarship, and um, we're very excited about that. And so I wanted to acknowledge her again for the great achievement of winning that award. So guys, thank you so much again um, for to participate in the podcast, and thank you, the listening audience, for listening to our voices, our community, presented by Colors VA Magazine. You can also listen to us each Sunday at 3 p.m. Um, on WROE 95.7 Radio Free Roaming. If you like what you heard today, leave us a review. Also, be sure to like Our Voices, Our Community on Facebook. Thank you and have a blessed day.